The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At the sight of the crowds, Jesus' heart was moved with pity for them, because they were troubled and abandoned, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Then he summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure every disease and every illness. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon from Cana, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve after instructing them thus, Do not go into pagan territory or enter a Samaritan town. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, make this proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. Without cost, you have received. Without cost, you are to give. The Gospel of the Lord. I was reminded of a story this morning on, on this Father's Day. There was a, a gentleman, we were on team together for Christ Renews' Parish a long time ago, and he and his wife uh, were very blessed. They, they had seven children, nine total, two miscarriages. And, and he often commented to us, reminding us, or not reminding, but telling us, you know, I was an only child, my wife was an only child, the Lord must have had some type of humor to put us together and give us seven kids. I'm reminded of that because I'm an only child, and the Lord gave me a room full of kids. <laughs> so there's your little dad joke for the day, because I'm a father. It's always a delayed reaction. So we're back into ordinary time, but I love saying that there's nothing ordinary about ordinary time. It's just that the seasons of the year provide different opportunities for us. You know, in the season of Lent and Advent, we're given this time of maybe a little bit more penitential, sacrificial offering and suffering, giving it up to the Lord. So that when we get to Easter and Christmas, we can rejoice all the more. Ordinary time is, is fascinating because it provides many different opportunities for us. It's a time of planting. It's a time of cultivating. It is a time of reaping and sowing. And so it, it fills all these different needs we have. It's a time to rest. I don't think we rest enough sometimes. And we have to look at what are we coming out of getting into ordinary time. Think about this. Yesterday, Saturday, was the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Friday was the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Last weekend was Corpus Christi. Before that, we had Trinity Sunday. Before that, we had Pentecost. And before that, we had the Ascension. We had all of these major celebrations coming out of Easter, which identified 
realities of Jesus. They're identified realities of who he is, what he does, but also God and his relationship to us. So, you know, right away we entered into his ascension. This, this fact that in Jesus' death and resurrection, his ascension is actually uh, an example, a witness of what we can anticipate when we die, that the Lord will, will receive us into heaven as well, that that's our hope, that we have to retain this hope. And then we moved into Pentecost, right? And so this reminder that Jesus, even though he's no longer here, he's given us the Holy Spirit, who's the advocate, who actually sends down fire upon his apostles and the disciples so that they can speak in ways that everyone can come to know the kingdom. It's a reminder of, of confirmation that we're sent on mission. So we have a place in heaven, we have a mission to, to live out, and then we get Trinity Sunday, this, this example of what the ideal perfect relationship looks like, that Father and Son in their love give us the Holy Spirit and that in our own lives we're called to have these, these relationships with other people that we're meant to be in community, that one never acts without the other. And that led us into Corpus Christi last weekend, which Jesus stakes everything on this one teaching of the Eucharist. He stakes the entire salvation of the world on the teaching of the Eucharist because we heard in the gospel last weekend that thousands left him when he gave this teaching. He says, you must eat my body and drink my blood. And everyone's like, that's super weird. And they left. And he didn't say, wait, 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 come back. Let me, let me soften it for you. Let me change it. He, he stuck to his guns. And he looked at the apostles, the very people he calls today. He says, do you want to leave? And if they had left, who would have told our story? No one. So Jesus stakes the entire salvation of the world and, being, and letting that message be known on this teaching of the Eucharist. And we kind of summed it up with, if you don't want the Eucharist, you don't want Jesus. And that, there's, like, there's, there's more to unpack in that, so you can, you're welcome to go back and listen to the homily. But that's, that's, the, that's the captivating point about Corpus Christi. Now we're into this ordinary time of just, what do we do? What's, what's our plan? Where do we go from here? And the Lord is saying, I need you to either rest, or I need you to plant, or I need you to prepare. He's, it's going to differ for all of us. So let's just take a look at the readings real fast and see what, what the Lord is speaking. In that first reading, in Exodus God is saying to Moses this. God is telling Moses to tell the Israelites, if you will obey my voice, if you'll listen to me and keep my covenant, if you listen to me and you stay in relationship with me, you shall be my own possession among all peoples, that we will be this special choice. For all the earth is mine, right? Remember, like in creation, God made everything. But you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation that... If, you, if we heed God's voice, if we heed his commands, if we stay in relationship with him, he'll give us everything we need. He promises that all the way back in Exodus, all the way back in the beginning. So we have a special place in God's heart when we follow him. This is the thing, like, we're in a world right now where there's so much uh, 
desire and demand for freedom, like freedom is, is really misconstrued, we can be in relationship with God following his will and still have complete freedom. We actually have the, the choice, the free choice to follow him. But what we have to recognize is God is the one who dictates the rules because he's the one that made everything. So you take this idea that we are a special creature that God has chosen, and you look at then the second reading, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and he's reminding the, the people there that God died even for the ungodly. God chose to give his life up for everyone, whether they accepted him or didn't accept him, understood him or didn't understand him. And, and he goes on, and we've heard this in other points of Scripture, like how easy is it to love a person who's nice to you? It's pretty simple. How much more difficult is it to love a person who's wronged you, who's, who's hurt us? And Paul is reminding them that the, the situations that we create, the, the conditions that we live by sometimes are not always the best conditions. So here's a few examples. Maybe some of these resonate with you. Maybe, maybe you've thought these yourself. Maybe you've thought, you know what? I'm nice to you if you're nice to me. Anyone ever thought that before? Like, I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. Probably as little kids, we think that a lot. Or, uh, you know, you do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. Scratch my back, I scratch your back. Heard of that one before? I'm getting the head, head and nods. Good. All right. Treat me right, I'll treat you right. right? That's, that's a common reality. But what about this one? Hurt me or someone I love, and I will scorch the earth. You wrong me, and you are dead to me. Right? We've, we've probably all felt this. I think mothers in particular with their little children, Mama Grizzly Bear comes out, and it's like, do not mess with Mama Grizzly Bear. But these are the conditions we've created, and that's very like Old Testament thinking. That's very much like, all right, only if you're nice will I be nice. And God is saying, actually, I'm coming for everyone, and I'm dying for everyone. And the fact that he does this for the ungodly, the, the enemies of, of him, that he's saying, I will give you all, going back to Exodus, because you're my special creation. Wow. Wow, that's just remarkable that God is willing to do that for us, which means we need to be willing to do that for one another. That even when maybe I'm wronged or hurt or, or impacted in a negative way, that I still care for and love that person. Now we see further in that second reading this concept of salvation. And I hadn't thought about this until I read it in the commentary. But salvation can be described in terms of a past, a present, and a future. In one sense, salvation is considered in the past because by baptism, we've all been saved and redeemed. Right? Christian baptism, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all have been saved and redeemed and brought into the family of the Lord. Present because it allows, salvation allows grace to steadily make us more virtuous and holy. And where do we get grace from? We receive grace from the sacraments, so from the Eucharist and Mass, from confession, from our baptisms, from confirmations, from holy marriages, anointing of the sick, priesthood. Through sacraments, we receive graces that allow us to grow in virtue and holiness. Now, again, 
God has put guidelines on how to encounter these sacraments, right? The Eucharist, again, where he stakes the entire salvation of the world. He says, do not receive the Eucharist if you are in a state of mortal grave sin. That actually is not going to help us. Even though the Eucharist has healing effects and healing abilities, and it will, our, our venial sins are forgiven at the beginning of Mass, mortal sins, he says, hey, I have another antidote. I have another medicine for you. It's confession. Go and confess your sins. Be forgiven and then come to me. We've heard that in, past, in the scriptures many times where we have to go back and seek reconciliation with our neighbor, with, with our brothers and our sisters before we go to the altar of the Lord. But the present reality is God has given us the opportunity for, to receive grace, to grow in holiness. The future hope, so the, the, pre, the past was baptism, the presence, the graces we receive, and the future hope is going back to Exodus as well that we are a chosen people, that God has a place for us, that we, have, that we will live forever with the Lord. It's not just, you can live with me if you fit this criteria, because the criteria is everyone. But you live with me when you choose to be in relationship with me, when you choose to follow me, you choose to adhere to the teachings that he's given. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Like, we are a chosen people. We're, we're his special creation. Um, we, he's died for all, regardless of, of what anyone has ever done. And now we get to the gospel. And we hear that very first part of the gospel where God has this pity for us, this sense of compassion. He looks out and he says, wow, there's no one to lead them. And he knows his mission. He knows that he's going to leave. So he's like, what am I going to do? I, I need to leave them with someone. I need to, to give them people to, to teach and to follow and to care for them. And that's when he says, like, the harvest is abundant, laborers are few. And we always take that and we think about vocations, but there are priesthood vocations, religious life vocations. And that's good, but it's the universal vocation of holiness that we should really be considering first. How is God then calling me to be a part of his mission? And so I, I think about um, those World War II posters with Uncle Sam, I want you. Yeah? And I can just imagine God pointing at me and saying, I want you, Jay. I want you, Eli. I want you, Benjamin. I want you. And just fill in the name, right? I want you, I want you. And so now we have this opportunity to say, yes, you have me. There's this beautiful line in the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua comes right after the first five books, the Pentateuch. So the Israelites, they're in the promised land. And the line, Joshua is saying this to the, to the Christ, says, we will serve the Lord our God and obey his voice. And there's a, a great song that, it go, I'm not going to sing it for you, but it goes like this. It's like, um, so me and my house, we will serve the Lord all the days of our life. And I think about that, like going back to the idea of the domestic church, right? The every, like there's so many domestic churches in here because every home is a domestic church. Every home must choose to serve the Lord all the days of their life. And so when God is saying, I want you, 
I want you, Samantha. I want you, John. I want you, George. I want you, Hannah. I want you, Summer. I want you, Libby. I want you, Ezekiel. But God knows our name. He says, I want you. Then we have to make a decision to say yes. There's two examples in my life I can think of where God said, I want you, Jay. And uh, they're both life-changing moments. The first, I was 19 years old. I think I've told this a little bit. I was 19 years old. I was on a retreat at, a, at the convent of the Sisters of Perpetual Adoration in, in uh, Mishawaka. We were in adoration. It was the weirdest moment for me because I didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know why we were there. It was very confusing, very scary. And through prayer in looking upon the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus, I heard this invitation, I want you, Jay. And I, I was like, I don't know what this means. Ultimately, it was an invitation to become Catholic. That was that, that call. And it took more years, three more years of discernment, examination, prayer, contemplation, all this. And then the second time was in 2011, in 3,546 miles away from here, in a dusty, dirty field in Madrid, Spain, in 110 degree temperatures, with the worst lightning storm in a decade. And God says to me, I want you to be my priest. I was thinking, <laughs> you don't know what you really want, do you? <laughs> but this call, because who did he call? Did he call the, the greatest, the brightest, the smartest? I don't know, but they weren't the Pharisees, they weren't Sadducees, they weren't scholars of Scripture, right? They were business owners, they were farmers, they were fishermen, tax collectors. He even called one that betrayed him, right? He didn't leave anybody out. So God wants me, and he wants you, and we see that he's made a place for us, that he's already called us, he's chosen us, but he wants us for something greater. And so it's important in this ordinary time, to begin to contemplate what does that look like? What is that call inviting me to? What gifts is the Lord already given to me that he's saying, I want you to share that. I want you to give this. I need you for this mission. And that's what I love so much about this portion because he says, don't go out to the pagans and Samaritans first. Where does he want us to go first? to the people of Israel, the chosen people. So, brothers and sisters, the first people we go to are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We go to them and say, hey, I've got something for you to come and explore. I have an invitation for you. The Lord has put it on my heart to invite you to come with me to Mass. That's where we start. It's not some big, grandiose, like we have to go do some crazy stuff. We just go to the people we know and we invite them to come home. We invite them to come back to the source, to the root, to everything. Because God, in his salvation, he's already saved us by baptism. We have the hope of what's to come, but he's giving us graces now to live out the lives. And for those who are not here, they're not able to receive those graces. What's the Lord inviting us to do as he's calling us? He's calling us by name. He's inviting us to something great, to be a part of his mission. So that's for us to contemplate. That's for us to pray about. 
Lord, what are you inviting me to do now that you've called me?